Yes, yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now, now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you can make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you can make it. Well, hello, table friends. Pastor Doug here. If you've got Bibles, go ahead and open them to Acts chapter 4. We're just going to look at one verse today. It's a powerful verse. I'm going to try to summarize where we've been from Acts 2 into getting into this verse here. But as we get going, as you're opening up Bibles and swiping, I want to ask you this question. Do you remember what it's like the first time you felt like you were a grown-up? Now, maybe some of you as you answer that question, you go, hey, I'm 30, I'm 28, I'm 27, I, I feel like a grown-up, I have to pay bills, I've got you know, rent payments and car payments and things like that. Maybe others of you, you're on the younger end, you're 18, 19, 20, maybe you're still living at home, and you go, well, I kind of feel like I'm a grown-up and I kind of don't. Uh, but in general, that's the question I want us to think about here today. What does it look like or what does it feel like to grow up? And as I think about that question, I can remember a specific moment where I felt like a grown-up. Or, that is to say, I can remember a specific moment where I didn't feel like a grown-up. It was actually in 1997 in Italy of all places. In fact, I have a photo right here. That's Doug Hankins at 17 in Italy. It may come up on your screen a little later. Um, that was me wearing this jersey right here. Check it out. Right? Uh, this is a Ronaldo Phenomenal jersey when he was playing for Inter Milan, and I bought it in 1997 when I was in Italy. And this is the reason why I bring that up. I remember being 17 years old and walking into a shop uh, in Italy, uh, I think in Rome, and trying to buy some gelato. And I walked in and I said, excuse me, sir, I'd like to buy some gelato. And the shopkeeper just wouldn't interact with me, wouldn't look at me, wouldn't consider me, wouldn't take my money. And I had to get a, a sponsor, an adult, to come in and actually buy the gelato for me. And I remember thinking as I'm eating my gelato, crying, walking out of that place, I feel so frustrated because it looks like everybody is looking over me or looking past me. And I remember thinking to myself deep in my heart, when am I going to get to grow up and be respected by everybody around me? Fast forward to 2011, I am in Italy with my wife. We are celebrating the completion of my PhD program, and we're in Italy, and I remember walking into a gelato store, and in the back of my mind, thinking, I wonder if this shopkeeper is gonna service me, because I wanna eat some gelato, I wanna take my wife to the gelato shop, and I just, I'm nervous, because last time I was in one of these places, no one respected me. And I remember walking in, and I remember saying, I would like some gelato, please, and they said, yes, sir, we'll get it for you, or whatever the equivalent is. And I remember just thinking in my, uh, in my own mind there, I have arrived. I have made it in life. I am a grown-up. People respect me. I remember what it was like growing up from that 17-year-old to being a 30-year-old walking around Italy and feeling like I belong in the world. Do you remember what it's like to feel overlooked as a young person? Or do you remember what it feels like to feel like a grown-up, that everyone around you respects you? Well, uh, I want to think about that question. I want to consider that question because this is the question at the heart of the life of St. Peter, who we're going to look at today. If you remember anything at all, Peter, when we see him at the very end of Luke, he is this coward who is denying Jesus three times. But then as we get into the book of Acts, as we've seen, Peter is this bold, confident man preaching the gospel and, and involved in some really intense Christian ministry. And, and the question at the heart of those two pictures is, 
What happens? What catalyzes Peter from that moment when he's a coward to being this bold, confident person we see in the book of Acts? And so I want to consider that together here. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to read. But let me summarize what's been going on here up to this point. Peter has preached the gospel uh, at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people get added to the church. It goes from 120 to 3,120 just like that. They start the first small group system and people are meeting in homes and sharing as everyone has need and it's incredible and numbers are being added uh, each day. Then Peter is walking around going to temple and there is uh, in Acts chapter 3 at the very beginning there is a man who is uh, crippled from birth and Peter prays for him and he is healed and it brings this crowd around him because obviously this sign and wonder was just done, just performed. And they're asking Peter, hey, how are you able to perform signs and wonders? And Peter says, hey, it's because of who Jesus is. And he begins to boldly proclaim the gospel again. And some more people are saved and they're added to the number of the Christians. It's really incredible stuff. And so then this group of magistrates and other leaders in the town get together and they say, uh, hey, uh, uh, Peter, what gives? Like, like, tell us what's been going on. And so Peter preaches again and he's very eloquent in the way he preaches. And it gets up here to Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And this is the re response of all the leaders who've been observing this. It says, verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Now, why were these people astonished? Well, they tell us in the next uh, sentence there. And they recognized that Peter and John had been with Jesus. That's the big verse today I want us to consider. The people of this town, the men of this town, the leaders of this town, when they see Peter and John, these uneducated, common people, these aren't superstars. They don't have a lot of Instagram followers. Uh, they're not the most eloquent, uh, sophisticated people ever. But when they preach, there's a boldness. There's just a confidence to the way they speak. And so everybody goes, man, I recognize that confidence somewhere. Those two men have been with Jesus. How does Peter go from being a coward to being a confident person? Well, in between somewhere, he had been with Jesus. And there's something about being with Jesus that catalyzes him from a coward to a confident person. And that's the big idea I want us to consider today. What is it that helps move us to grow us from where we are to the confidence of where Jesus wants us to be? It's time spent with Jesus. If you think about Peter's life, if you remember everything, if you look through scripture, there's really kind of four phases to Peter, right? The first one is calling. Jesus calls him, calls him to be a follower, and then gives him a very specific calling. Says, Peter, uh, you, are, you are Peter, you are the rock. I'm, I'm on this rock. I'm going to build my church. In fact, Peter is the first uh, pope considered in the, in the history of Catholic popes, he's considered to be the first. Okay, uh, Lots of churches are named after him, lots of cities like St. Saint, Saint Petersburg in Russia, it's named after him. Um, it all starts there. He is given this calling by Jesus. But even though he has a calling from Jesus, the next phase of his life is being a coward. He walks out on the water, he falls down. Uh, Jesus is taken away, he denies him three times. Peter, in spite of his calling, in spite of the fact that he knows who Jesus is, he's still a coward. That's the second phase of his life. But after the resurrection, then there's this whole new calling, or this whole new uh, phase of Peter's life. He goes from calling, to coward, to now communion with Jesus. 
Jesus shows up on a beach. He eats breakfast with Peter. He tells Peter again. He reminds him of his calling. Go feed my sheep. Go tend to my lambs. Peter, go do ministry. And Peter spends that time. He communes with Jesus. And that propels him into this next phase, which would be the phase for the remainder of his life. It's the phase that he's in when he's doing most of his public ministry. It's the phase that he's in when he writes books of the New Testament. And that is the confidence phase. Peter walks from here, calling to coward, to commune with Jesus, to confidence. And I like that progression there, especially because it all begins with C, right? It's easy to remember. Because I think for many of us, it appeals to us. Peter wasn't this superstar. And even though he was called into ministry and called into discipleship very early on, he still struggled with things. Do you ever struggle with things even though you're following Jesus? Do you ever have bad days or bad weeks? Do you ever feel like a second-class Christian? Well, guess what? So did Peter. And that didn't stop Jesus from doing a work in him. In fact, Jesus came back and redeemed him. And he redeemed him in a very specific way or from within a very specific framework. Jesus redeemed him as Peter communed with him. As Peter spent time with him. As Peter communicated and prayed and and fellowshiped with Jesus Jesus redeemed his story, and it's something that's really important that happens from here. Okay, Communion will increase our sense of calling. Communion with Jesus will increase or will refine our sense of calling. Communion will maybe clarify our calling, and our calling will create confidence in us. That's what happens with the life of Peter. Peter communes with Jesus, and that communion with Jesus clarifies his calling. It makes it crystal clear for him so that Peter can see from that lens, from that perspective, and everything he does. And once Peter has that calling, that calling creates confidence. It creates boldness. Because now that Peter knows who he is and knows who Jesus is in him, he walks around with a, a tremendous sense of boldness and confidence to execute that which Jesus has called on his life. I can think about this in my own life. The more time I spend with Jesus, the clearer my calling becomes in Jesus. And the clearer my calling becomes in Jesus, the more confidence I have to step into the ministry, the particular ministry that Jesus has for me. And I suspect that's true of all of us watching this as well. The more we commune with Jesus, the more that's going to clarify our calling, whether in vocational ministry, working in a church, or whether in a parachurch ministry, if you're working at crew or some of these other places, or whether you're someone who God has called into the workforce, into the medical field to just go be the best doctor or nurse or healthcare professional or business person or teacher or whatever possible. And through that vocation, God's going to give you tremendous ministry. Wherever God sends you in terms of your calling, as you commune with him, he's going to clarify the calling. And every time he clarifies the calling, that brings and creates more additional confidence in who Jesus is and who you are in Jesus. And so that leads us to this really important question. It's the practical action step for you guys. What does it look like for me to commune with Jesus? Now, one of the obvious answers to that is take communion, meaning literally take some bread and grape juice and you know regularly have that. And, and I don't think that's exactly what was happening here with Jesus uh, and Peter, although Peter did eat meals with Jesus. Uh, when, when people observed that Peter was someone who was, was with Jesus, they kind of had in mind a holistic um, amount of time that Peter would spend with him. And so I want to give you what it looks like from Peter's life, kind of the three main things I see Peter doing 
that, that seems to indicate that he communed with Jesus on the regular. And you can think about it in this very silly, easy to remember acronym, CPR. You guys know what CPR is? Like, you know, someone can't breathe and so they do the chest compressions, right? That kind of thing. So CPR. And this is the way that Jesus spent time with Peter or Peter spent time with Jesus. And here's the corny metaphor. It's the way that Jesus would continually breathe life back into Peter, the CPR here. Number one, C stands for this. You converse with Jesus. You converse with Jesus. You talk to Jesus in prayer and he speaks back to you in prayer and in Bible reading. Uh, this pastor that I follow on Twitter had this great quote. He said, the more you talk to Jesus in prayer, the more he'll talk to you through the Bible. And I think that's basically true. Um, in my life, I've found that the more I talk to Jesus in prayer, it's often hard for me to hear directly from God. Like it's not like this loud, audible voice. But oftentimes I'll pray to God and I'll be asking about a particular issue. And I'm, it's like I can't get an answer when I'm meditating and these kind of things. And then I read scripture and God starts to speak to me through scripture. And so Peter regularly communed with Jesus or communicated with Jesus. He conversed with him. And the way we can do that is we can uh, spend time praying and talking to God in prayer and then letting God talk back to us through the Bible. Number two, P, converse, P. P stands for practice. When Jesus tells you what to do or as Jesus invites you into some of the spiritual practices of his own life, we do them, right? Jesus would say, when you pray, pray like this. When you fast, fast in this way. Uh, as you go out in the town and, and witness and, and practice evangelism, do it this way. And so there, there are a lot of practices that Christians have uh, adopted over the years that have uh, proved to be tremendously effective at communing with Jesus. Um, it's not just that Jesus wants us to spend time with him in a chair somewhere, statically, one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. It's also that Jesus wants us to follow him back into the world to engage people uh, in the name of Christ. In the name of Christ. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. I promise it's just allergies. Third thing, so C, uh, conversate or, or converse with Jesus. Number two, practice with Jesus, C, P, and then R, rest in Jesus. The first two things are things we can do. The second two things are things we can, or the second, or the last thing, the third thing, sorry, I'm trying to do math here. The third thing is things we can be, right? And so once we've conversed with Jesus, once we've practiced with Jesus, Finally, we can learn to rest in Jesus or rest with Jesus. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. You'll take my yoke upon your shoulders. You will uh, have a lot to do in that. All that work is going to be there, but my work is going to be incredibly restful. And so as we're conversing with Jesus, as we're practicing, we're following him into the world. It's super important that the third thing we do is that we learn to rest in Jesus the reality is Jesus loves us enough. We don't have to do anything more to earn more of his love. We can rest in him. And we'll find that when we rest in him, he is going to inspire us to do a lot more. This is the way it works in God's providence. We spend time resting. We know we're secure in him. And he goes, hey, I want to invite you into this cool new thing I'm doing. And because you have a clear sense of calling, it's going to breed or it's going to create confidence in you. And you're going to follow him back into the world to do more things. CPR. Converse with Jesus. Practice with Jesus. Rest in Jesus. I want to finish up by telling you a cool story about this uh, young woman who grew up in Macedonia. I'm going to try to pronounce her name right. I don't speak this dialect. It's Anesi Gonji Bojaju. Anyone know, ever heard of Anesi Gonji Bojaju? Well, she was a young girl, diminutive in stature, short, skinny, um, but she really loved Jesus. And um, she went on to 
care, uh, create a life or enter into a life where she, she understood God's calling in her life. And she went in and she um, moved to Calcutta and she began taking care of all the poor and the lame and the sick who are in Calcutta and created this incredible ministry there. You may know her by a different name. Her name is Mother Teresa. Well, before she was Mother Teresa, she was uh, Anesi Gonji Bojaju, and she was just a young nun who understood God's calling on her life and then executed it with confidence. And she did this over and over and over again throughout her life to such an extent she built this incredible home and this incredible ministry system there. And eventually after she died, they, they made her a Catholic saint, and so she's now Saint Mother Teresa, uh, or Mother Teresa, uh, and uh, just had this incredible life. Well, uh, Pope John Paul II was reflecting on her life at one point, and he wrote this about her. It's really interesting, because people were asking, Mother Teresa, how did you become such a saint? How did you become such a confident minister? How did you become someone who loves the poor and the marginalized in the way you do? And Pope John Paul was trying to put words to it, and here's what he said. Where did she find the strength to persevere in service to others? In daily prayer and contemplation of Jesus. Mother Teresa was someone who every day spent time praying and talking to Jesus and learning to practice, to go into the world the way Jesus practiced. And then at the end of the day would rest in her work because Jesus is good enough for everything. And then she would go to sleep and wake up and if God gave her breath the next day, she would do the same thing. Mother Teresa grew from this small diminutive little girl in Macedonia to this amazing saint. And the secret was she wasn't really spectacular. She was quite ordinary. But she knew the secret, the secret of an extraordinary life, of a life of confidence, was time spent with Jesus. Peter knew that too. And friends, I hope in this unique time, we will come to know that as well, that we will come to spend time with Jesus regularly, to converse with him, to practice what he tells us to practice, and then finally to rest in him because Jesus is good enough for us. And so with that vision up in the air, I want to just pray for us right now that we would learn to lean in to being with Jesus, that he might clarify our calling and then create confidence in everything that we do in life. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thanks for my friends. I thank you for this opportunity to gather digitally. I thank you for all the life groups that are meeting throughout the week and all the fun um, mid-sized mid hangs that are taking place. But Jesus, help us to learn in this unique season and in the next season to spend time with you. Would you um, meet with us? Would you commune with us? And would you fill us with peace and confidence uh, and clarity of our calling? It's in your name we pray. 